The tradition of the Christian church has been to celebrate the 50 days that follow Easter Sunday as a season. Sometimes we call it Easter season or Easter tide or the great 50 days of Easter, depending on who you're talking to. And so this Easter season in this congregation, we're going to explore together what it means to live as Easter people. Or another way to put it would be, what does it mean to live abundantly, to live a full life? And we're going to look at some stories from scripture where Jesus appears to the disciples after the resurrection. Along with these stories, we'll explore five practices for Easter living based on the core values that this congregation has lived with for more than 14 years now. We've seen these values and the behavior that goes along with them bear fruit here in this congregation. And so the invitation of the series is for you to take on these values and these practices, and make them your own in your personal faith walk. The first value and practice that we'll explore today is very simply this, committed to Christ. Committed to Christ. We're going to hear now from the Gospel of John. After the resurrection, the disciples were in hiding, and most of them had already seen Jesus risen from the dead, but Thomas had not. And that's where our story picks up. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, where my hands, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The word of God for the people of God. God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, we're here this morning in some ways because we're still seeking Easter. We're seeking hope. We're seeking your power and your spirit. May this hour of worship be a time when we encounter you in ways that may be mysterious and unexpected. Bless the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts that they might be pleasing and acceptable to you. Amen. When was the last time you were all in on something? How about something that actually really mattered and that makes a difference in the world? Do you remember when it last was that you were all in on something like that? This morning, the first service, I had the opportunity to baptize a young boy named Theo, who's about three years old. And after he was baptized, he was up here on the chancel, and he was literally jumping up and down because he was so excited that he just got baptized and introduced to the whole congregation, and Pastor Rick led him around, and he was fist-bumping people. It was awesome. It was awesome. When were you that all in on faith? When's the last time it was like that for you? This past week was Easter Sunday, 
Well, you talk about a story that makes a difference in the world, something that really has the power to change things. Jesus rose from the dead. It doesn't get more transformative than that. Hope and life won over death and despair. That's what we celebrate on Easter. And I don't know about you if you were there last week or not, but for me it was definitely a feel-good Sunday because there were lots of people in the room and we got to sing the Easter hymns and the brass was here, the flowers were up, Rick preached an awesome sermon, we all got to go home and eat jelly beans and chocolate bunnies. It was a good day. It was a good day. And it's only been a few days since Easter, but it feels like the world is already moving on. You walk into CVS and all the Easter candy is quarantined off in a corner with a discount price tag on it. And the Easter flowers, some of them are already wilting. And it's tempting to look around and feel a little bit let down and kind of say, all right, well, now what? Well, we're not the only ones to feel this way. Jesus' first disciples also felt a little bit bewildered after that first Easter. They knew what it was like to be all in because they had followed Jesus. And many of them had given up their jobs, they'd given up their homes, they literally were fishing and dropped their nets and said, okay, this is it, I'm all in on this man, on the Son of God, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to learn from him. They knew what it was like to be all in, but then they watched him die on the cross. And when they finally received the news that Jesus had come back from the dead, just as, though, just as he had promised, they were not entirely sure. And they were afraid. And their response was to lock themselves up in somebody's house because they were worried about what was going to happen to them. They figured, well, they came and killed Jesus. Maybe they're going to come for us next. And so despite all the doors being locked and these disciples being terrified, Jesus appears in their midst and says, Peace be with you. And he shows them his scars, and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And you would expect that this would be an amazing moment of transformation for the disciples, and it would launch them out into the world, and they'd start preaching the good news, and they'd be ready to go all in again for Jesus. But, But Susie read the scripture for us this morning, and we're told that it's eight days later, and they still haven't left the house. The disciples are still locked up in somebody's house with the doors shut, And that's where we get this famous moment with Thomas. Have you ever heard the nickname Doubting Thomas? You've heard the nickname Doubting Thomas? Well, it's really kind of an unfair nickname to poor Thomas. Thomas arrives on the scene, and we're told that he wasn't there for the first go-around with Jesus. Everybody else got to see the scars. They got to talk with the risen Christ. They got to have this powerful moment of prayer and the Holy Spirit. But Thomas missed it. Perhaps a better name for this story would be Tardy Thomas or The Perils of Being Late because he misses out. Thomas was really no more doubtful than any of the other disciples who struggled to grasp the good news of resurrection. He just happened to get there a little bit later than the rest of them and they'd all had this experience but it's not specifically laid out in scripture but I get the sense that they're kind of standing around with their arms crossed looking at him and going, well, Thomas... Geez, get it together. Have a little faith, man. Like, they single him out for having doubts when, in fact, all of them had some questions after the resurrection. Jesus just wanted what they'd had, which was an experience to encounter the risen Christ. The disciples had all heard about Mary going to the tomb. They'd heard about her talking to God, to Jesus, face to face, and seeing the risen Lord. They'd heard from Peter and the other disciple who ran to the tomb, and they saw it empty. 
And then these disciples experience the risen Christ face to face in this room. And that's the kind of encounter we all want. We all desire to encounter God face to face, to have a powerful moment where God speaks to us and we really feel the Holy Spirit. We all want that. We want to meet God. We want to see Jesus. Thomas' real problem is not that he doubts, because many people of faith have doubts. If you look at Scripture, Sarah and Abraham, they laugh when they hear what God has planned for them. You look at Gideon in the Old Testament, and he keeps praying for a sign because he's not really fully convinced that God wants him to do what God's calling him to do. So he keeps saying, yeah, how about another sign? Just one more. It'll be good. Peter sinks when Jesus calls him to walk on water, and Peter walked with Jesus firsthand. He had uncertainties. Many people have doubts. Questions are part of any faith journey. We're not all at the same place in our faith, and it's okay to wrestle with things and to ask questions and to have things that we wonder about. Thomas' real challenge is not that he doubts. The problem is he's a conditional kind of Christian. He starts his proclamation with, unless, unless. It's like he's writing a list of demands. I'm not going to have faith unless. And that's us too often sometimes. We start our faith statements with, if. It's tempting. It's really easy to fall into. If God sends me a sign. If I receive enough proof. If Christ is able to do this or that if I can find the time to do this or that. We start our statements with if or unless. And then they end with an implied then that's predicated on whatever it is that we want God to do for us. So if God sends me a sign, then I will make a new commitment. If Christ is able to resolve this situation, then I'm going to pray with renewed fervor. If this happens, then I'll really make a commitment here. It's like cosmic bargaining. We figure if we can just put enough ifs out there into the universe, God's going to answer one of them, and then we will know it's the time to make a new kind of commitment. I'd always read the Gospel of John chapter 20, assuming that Thomas gets what he asks for, that he gets to touch Jesus' wounds. Well, of course, the scripture doesn't actually say that. If you read it closely, Jesus says, Put your fingers here, look at my hands, put your hand into my side, touch the scars, no more disbelief, believe. But then we don't get any additional narration. There's just a line break before Thomas declares, my Lord and my God. It's blank space left for us to imagine. Maybe he touched the scars, maybe he didn't touch the scars. In some senses, it doesn't really matter. Because Jesus is there ready for Thomas to encounter him whenever Thomas is ready to take that step. We make all kinds of qualifications on God, but God makes no qualifications on us. God never says to us, I'll love you if. I'll offer you grace if. There are no conditions placed on us coming to God. We're the only ones who place conditions on things. Jesus says, so you believe because you've seen it with your own eyes. Well, even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Those who believe without seeing, that's us. We're not going to walk with Jesus in flesh and blood in that same way that those first disciples did. But we have faith nonetheless. We experience God 
nonetheless. We have powerful encounters with the Holy Spirit, despite the conditions that we place on ourselves and on God. What would it mean for you to be all in for Jesus? What would it mean for you to be all in on being part of a community of faith? Or all in for God, for prayer, for scripture reading? Depending on where you're at in your faith journey, the question may take different forms and have a different answer. But what would that mean to give your all to this question of faith? What would it mean to say yes to God without condition? Setting aside all those ifs and unlesses. I had the opportunity to attend Table Talk this past Wednesday. And there are a few of you here from this congregation that shared your thoughts on what it means to be committed to Christ. What that looks like to live an abundant life. A life that's full, that's full of Easter, that's committed to Jesus. And people shared things like serving others, loving one another, reading scripture, especially those stories of Jesus coming back to those time and time again, praying, attending worship, sharing in the sacraments, intentionally wrestling with questions of faith. Committed to Christ is one of the core values of this church, and it's also something that when we put it into practice in our individual lives, changes our faith journey and has the potential to change this congregation and this community to help as many people as possible live an abundant, full, rich, healthy life. This is powerful stuff. This is, in some cases, life-or-death stuff that we're talking about here. You all notice none of these statements about commitment to Christ that people listed in the table talk were conditional. No one said commitment to Christ means loving people as long as those people are easy to love. Nobody said committed to Christ means that if God gives a sign, then I'm going to pray or read scripture. Nobody said commitment to Christ means if we get enough proof, then we'll have faith. I don't really need to tell you all this because it's like preaching to the choir. You got yourself here to church on a Sunday morning when there were many other things that you could have prioritized in your life. So you know what it means to make a commitment. You're here in this place ready to encounter God. We place all these human conditions on faith and on God and we wait around as if we need our list of demands to be met before we're going to encounter the holy. We say things like, If my prayers are answered, then I'll start to pray more. We all function that way sometimes, like Thomas does. We're looking for these human criteria to be met, and we feel like before we can say yes to encountering faith or joining a new faith community or reading our Bible, like we need these check marks to be met. Well, the truth is we don't have to have all of our questions answered to have a commitment to Christ. We only need to shake the specter of unless, of if. We have to set those things aside. This congregation knows well that our Wesleyan tradition encourages us to use logic and reason as we approach the world and we figure out the answers to ethical questions and faith-based questions. We seek to bring our intellect to conversations about faith. We want to read and study and talk with one another, and the more we learn, the more we will grow in faith. We really want to wrestle. We want to bring our questions. We want to talk about our doubts and walk together in faith. Jesus himself taught lessons full of questions and multiple interpretations. This congregation knows what it means to ask good questions. That's part of a faith journey. That's part of our commitment to Christ is asking the right questions, really struggling with things. 
Commitment is not about certainty. It's about getting past all the conditions that we put on our faith. The truth is this. There's no church that you're going to go to that's going to be perfect. There's no Christian you're going to encounter that doesn't have scars. No faith comes entirely without questions. If those are our conditions, we're going to be disappointed. Ultimately, a commitment to Christ is a call to drop the conditionals. To put ourselves in a place where we are ready to seek and encounter that which is holy. To offer ourselves to serve others, even if we don't know how that person's going to respond. Are they going to be thankful? Are they going to say the right thing? Are they going to do what we think they should do with their lives? We don't know, but we serve them anyway. Because we don't look to the if. A commitment to Christ is to be all in on a message of hope that changes everything in this world. A commitment to Christ is to be all in for loving everyone equally, regardless. A commitment to Christ is to be all in on the belief that resurrection and transformation can happen to anyone, regardless of how broken they may seem to be on the outside. That's a commitment to Christ. That's what we commit to as people of faith, because God brought Jesus back from the grave. And even if, like Thomas, we don't fully understand it, we want to be part of it. That's the kind of message of hope that we want to be part of. And so we commit to resurrection even though we don't fully understand all the ins and the outs. And we may never understand in this lifetime until we see God face to face. In a moment, about a dozen young people from this church are going to affirm their faith. And they're going to make a commitment to join this church, to join all of you on your walk of faith. And they've spent the last year attending classes and going on field trips to different faith communities, meeting with their confirmation mentors who are seated over here in the front. And there may be things that they have lingering questions about as they sit here in the pew this morning. There may be things about this congregation or about the United Methodist Church as a denomination that they hope to see change in the future. Well, me too. Hopefully all of us have things that we hope will change because we're moving on towards perfection. Today, these young people, despite whatever questions they may bring, whatever other burdens they may carry, they're about to make a commitment to all of you and to God. And we're going to ask them questions about their faith, and you all will get a chance to renew your vows to participate in the life of this church. And your commitment to Christ. So as we journey together through this next moment of confirmation, through the Easter season, I want us to consider the conditionals that we're carrying around and let them go. What ifs have been holding you back? What unlesses have you been holding on to? What is keeping you from committing more fully? Whatever that looks like to you at your point in your faith journey, This is the time, this is the moment to make a commitment to Christ, a commitment to Easter, a commitment to hope, a commitment to living more fully in this life, in this congregation. This is a season to be all in. Let's make that commitment.